Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Fulhamish is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. Hello listeners, my name is Jack Collins and this is the Fulhamish podcast, your refuge point in a week dominated by ghouls, ghosts and monsters. Bolton almost put their Craven Cottage demons to rest on Saturday, but Fulham survived a scare as Tom Kearney's first goal of the season provided a treat in a game full of nasty tricks, most of which got the better of spooked referee Jeff Eltringham. Despite Carl Henry's cruel intentions and some horror diving from Gary Medine, it proved to be a sweet ending with another late goal for the Whites. Here with me today are two blokes who know a thing or two about the often blood-curdling nature of supporting the Whites. Farrell, the Mad Monk. <laughs> Big up brothers and sisters. And Drew, Trick or Heatley. <laughs> so, Excellent. Yeah, Excellent. We're, we're away. No Sammy this week, so uh, you've got the old substitute podcast, as you, you may be able to tell. Farrell, secretarial duties are passing to you for the week. So, would you start us off with some three-word reviews, please? So, we got literally billions of you came in. 144 billion of you uh, came in with some three-word reviews. Jeffrey Allen's nice sunset anyway. was That was quite nice when I was walking out the cottage after the game. Louis Woldock, cheaters never prosper, which I quite like too. Uh, follows on from the Preston draw as well. And uh, we'll go also with... Joanna Rayworth, yet again, few, which I quite liked. Oh, right, I see. Few as in P-H-E-W. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I was like, I don't get it. <laughs> um, a few word review. <laughs> yeah, well, before we get into the Bolton game, for sure, a quick word from our sponsors. Uh, this season, Fulhamish is backed by Labrooks, and right now, Fulhamish listeners can bet £5 and get £20 free. This means that if you deposit £5, Labrooks add another £20 to your account, you can get this offer by following the link at bet.fullamish.co.uk. You tell them again, Drew, what's that link? That's bet.fullamish.co.uk. Excellent. So let's get on to the real stuff. We said before this game it wasn't going to be easy, but that seemed to fall on deaf ears with a lot of the fan base. Were we guilty of underestimating Bolton? I wouldn't say that Fulham itself, the team itself, actually... Um, underestimated Bolton because we did come out the traps flying as we do in every other game. I just think that we couldn't deal with what they had to offer and it was a little bit surprising but I wouldn't say that Fulham underestimated them by any means because we were playing exactly the same way. There wasn't any complacency. Everything was direct as usual. A bit of playing around with it but we dominated possession. It wasn't like we were making a lot of mistakes. You know, Bolton got a lucky break for their goal and took advantage of it. If you wanted to poke holes in it uh, a little bit, it was uh, Medine had uh, a couple of balls on the, from the left-hand side early on, uh, and I thought they were going to beat Button more than once. Uh, so we could have learned and adapted to that. But uh, other than that, I, on the whole, I agree with you. In terms of Slavisa's team selection, there was a lot of uproar when it was shown originally to be the same front three, especially that played against Villa. Were you expecting more than that after we were largely impotent in that game? Or, or do you think that Slavisa was right to stick with his plan? Well, the proof was in the pudding. And I suppose with hindsight that maybe it wasn't the best three to go with. I mean, I have trust in Slavica to pick the best 11 at our disposal. 
Um, I think the bigger shock was probably a bit further back that Steffi Hansen was um, was dropped for the game. I know that Jack is still crying about it a little bit. Um, but um, fighting back the tears, I think he got behind the team a little bit. Um, but the front three is not... I, I don't think it's the worst of our problems. I think that the team as a whole is just lacking a bit of confidence, especially with shooting on site when we need to. We are playing that extra pass or having that extra touch where we don't need to. You can see that on some of the chances that were missed uh, in, in the last sort of two or three games, actually. It is a, a symptom of that, that extra touch syndrome. And I was surprised that we went with the, the front three we did, especially as um, you know it's clear Font wasn't particularly comfortable last week against Villa. Um, and I think we mentioned it last week that it's almost as if we're trying to shoehorn the best players we have into positions, into a system that's not, not necessarily the right, the right thing to do. So uh, there, was, there was more of that going on, I think. One thing that was really pleasing, though, was the return to form of Floyd, Floyd Aite. I thought over the 90 minutes, he was probably our best player. He gave Bolton no end of problems. And some of his decision making, which we have seen in the past, hasn't, has been a bit lacking. Those, those um, fears were allayed at the weekend. I thought he was exceptional. He was using it well. He was taking on players where he needed to be. I, I can't really remember a point where he lost the ball too often. He may have done it once or twice, but... As far as I'm concerned, he used it very well. He dribbled when he needed to, classed it when he needed to, and he was cropping up in positions that Bolton just couldn't get close to. OK, well, talking about Aite, shall we start with his goal, which was the first real incident, <laughs> shall we say, of the game? Disallowed for offside, um, a majestic ball three from, from TC, and Aite's finish was actually really, really lovely. Uh, would the incident have framed the game completely differently, do you think? Do you reckon we would have approached the game differently with a 1-0 win you, has that decision going against us you know incorrectly as it has been proved and I saw Jeff tweet about it saying if I was this bad at my job I would be sacked <laughs> um, but if if you know if we if that had gone in is it a different game and, and does it does it change things completely I think so you call it uh, Aite's goal and it certainly certainly was in my eyes I uh, I caught the lino very early on so I knew and there was a massive cheer going around but I had already seen it and I was thinking, I can't see much from the Hammersmith end at, at that point. And then uh, you watch it back and you just think, the, le the level of officiating in the league is quite often poor, but I don't think something like this is acceptable. I don't even think it was close. And we are, uh, to all intents and purposes at the moment, a bit of a confidence side. And we keep talking about you know, the run we made last season where confidence was high and, that, and, and it, you know, it breeds itself. And I think uh, in that game, if we'd uh, got an early goal in first half, I really do think it would have changed things, yeah. History dictates slightly on this one that when we have gone one or two nil up, it's just complete control after that. If we look back at the Ipswich game from earlier on the season, which was a complete total domination, I think got Neeskin's got the goal after a half an hour, and then after that it was just unbelievable. I was convinced Fulham were going to win the World Cup uh, after that one, and I think that probably it would have been exactly the same after that on Saturday. And then it just didn't quite click in that final third after that, I'm afraid. Now, I think maybe Bolton learned from their mistake. You know, they got a massive let-off with the disallowed goal. But because, I mean, Tom Kenny could have had a cup of tea before he actually played that goal. He had so much space and time to pick a pass. And it was an excellent run from Aite. And I've watched it quite a number of times since then, not offside. And also, there was, there was talk at the time that Fredericks was offside, also not offside. <laughs> and so that's, that was an interesting one. Well, let's get to it, I suppose. Uh, the Bolton goal. The, the referee in the game stopped the game. 
a number of times mm. for, for injuries, for head injuries, for a player being down on the floor. It's interesting that the one time he didn't stop the game for Gary Medine rolling around on the floor, Bolton have profited from it. However, it's not an excuse. It, it, this is absolutely schoolboy defending. The, some, some of the worst defending I've seen in the cottage in a while, and, and that's saying something with, with some of the stuff we've conceded this season. What on earth is going on, Drew? Well, Amiobi did exactly what Don predicted he would do last week, and, and we weren't ready for it, just uh, coming, coming in between our defenders and slotting one in. And everybody switched off, as you said. Uh, no one was coping whatsoever. And I think, you look, it was from a long punt from, from the keeper as well, which is, makes it even more embarrassing. With Rim coming in from the back and Callas coming in from the front, they're both, they're both looking sort of absolutely bamboozled. And Callas is probably the more culpable of the two, as he's the one who can see, uh, can see Amiobi. So it, it doesn't look great when both of your centre-backs are caught like that. I, now I've seen it over and over again since. I, I, don't, want, I don't want to be too harsh to Rim and Callas. You know, a ream from the back and a callus from the front sounds like an excellent sandwich I want to be involved in. I just, I do think it's actually good, fairly good play to Amiobi. Let, let's be fair to him because they've been, in, there has been situations, especially, it does happen quite a lot on the wing. Say you've got a winger out there and then the, uh, you coming up one-on-one -on -one against the defender and you have another winger coming in. You do see it countless times where the winger just slips inside between the both of them. And I think just Amiobi did exactly that, but just in the middle of the park. And I do think it's actually fairly good play, although I think Ream is probably a little bit more culpable because he was caught out on the turn. I mean, a turn one-on-one -on -one where, the, where the striker or winger in this case was facing the wrong opposite way from the goal and managed to get round Ream, who's no slouch, Absolutely. and fire at bottom corner. You know, I think, you know, it's a mixture of two. I think it's good play from, fairly good play from Amiobi and not so good from Ream. Some of the responses I've seen on the interwebs um, have involved the fact that Ryan Fredericks is sort of just wandering about. Mm -hmm. um, is there any credence to that? It, it Should Ryan Fredericks be there? I'm not saying that he necessarily should be because obviously he's not a centre-back. But at the same time, the way he's just sort of walking back as Amiobi originally appears to be literally just straight through on goal. And it seems that there's been a lot of backlash at Fredericks for his sort of supposed you know, lack of care, shall we say. I, I think that that may be symptomatic of a wider issue that Fredericks needs to address, but I think on this occasion, somebody, I saw on Twitter earlier, somebody was saying, you know, we, we, we don't criticise Callas enough on, on the pod, and I think it, it, it's maybe symptomatic of a whole thing of we don't criticise our centre-back pairings enough. Um, I, do, I do agree with that. I don't, as I say, I don't want to go in too hard on the pair of them, because, I, you know, I love them both dearly, but on this occasion, straight down the middle, with a player who my uh, Bolton-supporting chum says... Amiobi plays like he's always got his finger on R1. He's always sprinting through, and he's not the most cultured and sort of uh, measured of players. So the the fact that you can just storm through two centre backs that I think would should on their day, you know, be able to cope with him, it, it's on this occasion, it's it's theirs. I would I can't really lay blame at Fredericks here. It lands in the left centre back position, and he's the right back. I mean, he's quick and everything, but you can't expect him to anticipate that and end up being there. I, he, Amiobi anticipates it very well, the fact that it was a completely lumped, cut-out through ball to the goalkeeper and he just completely thunders it. And Amiobi was the first one to react to it. it both centre-backs and Sessegnon were strolling back while Amiobi was first to get there. And it bounces. Yeah. And it bounces and no one went to attack it apart from Amiobi. Yeah, it's not, it doesn't look good, shall we say. But, you know, such is life. It was an early goal and Fulham have conceded them before and it's not the end of the world. 
The first chance that Fulham had at rectifying the situation fell to Abu Bakar Kamara, who was put through on goal with a lovely ball from Tom Kearney. He scored a majority of his goals in France last year by hitting the ball low and hard across the keeper. What is he doing attempting to chip him on an angle? He's not really a delicate player, and you don't really need me to say that. So a delicate chip from Abubakar Kamara would surprise me so much so that I probably would have to have left the stadium. And of course it went, it hit the bar actually, didn't it? Or hit it, the it post? It did, but it's it's the angle of post and bar that's very much going the wrong way. Yeah, it's, unfortunately. It's not close. I think as well, we've... Uh... We've seen it, and we've said this before about Kamara, and we've seen it before with him. He, he loves, he's just got so much enthusiasm, and he's, he's so desperate to score that he, and his decision making is, is poor. And you need ice in your veins up top, not just in goal scoring situations, but you know, in a third of the pitch where things are always so fast, you need to be making those decisions, the right ones, every time. There's no, there's very, very sort of marginal room for error. Um, and so he just doesn't have that. He's a dynamic option. We've mentioned that before, but is he a starter? I'm not. I'm not convinced at the moment. I completely agree. Um, and and in that vein, I kind of want to talk about his decision making. Aside from being offside three times in, in, <laughs> in the game, his decision making is still so poor. He shoots when he should pass. He passes when he should shoot. He seems to turn into trouble, and when he should turn, he seems to sort of bundle into defenders instead. In fact, I thought Abu Bakar's Kamara's best contribution in the game was when he chased down Amiobi to his own to his own yeah. goal line. At which point I did think he was going to concede a penalty, but he didn't, and he actually shepherded him really well away from goal and, and won a goal kick. But I genuinely think that was his best contribution, and that's not what I want for my centre-forward. Yeah, I do agree that he his decision-making is poor, but it's better than it was. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think it's gone from a one to a two, um, which is, I mean, maybe it's double then, but um, it's. I think it, I think he's getting a better footballer. Is he a starter at the moment? I, I, I'd prefer to see one of our false nine op, uh, options, which probably J- Ben Jarman will be purring over the thought <laughs> of listening to this at home. Get well soon, mate. Um, or, but, an or, font, nine, or, just, yeah. or an actual number nine, like Font, who his number on the back of his shirt says that. I think, for, well, and we'll be talking about this later, but I think let's go Font um, in the future. But as I say, some of his enthusiasm and that sort of, uh, real sort of that gusto from him is is an absolute uh, attribute that we want in the team at that point. So you know we're by no means writing him off, but uh, you know starting at home like this weekend maybe maybe not maybe not right now. But Slav, let's be honest, Slav sees something in him. He sees him every day on the training pitch, and he's and we're saying he's coaching him. He's he's getting better. So jury's out. It's definitely we're not writing him off, but maybe not maybe not for the moment. Okay, let's let's move on from one criticised player to another one. In the second half, three things go wrong in a row for David Button. The first of these is actually a very like good idea. He, he pings a long ball after making a good catch in the area out to Cabano, and it just, just sort of evades him and goes out for a goal kick, and everyone gets obviously a bit angry because David Button has kicked the ball out for a goal kick. And suddenly, the next two things, he passes the ball twice in quick succession to Adam Armstrong, a second of which... He should have very much scored and put the game beyond doubt. Button's still dividing opinion, but it's worth noting his first half distribution was actually 100% accurate. Uh, everything he kicked went to a Fulham player. And is he therefore a confidence player and should we basically get out of his head? I, I understand the criticism of him, but it's kind of like in isolation. I think now 
now some of the fan base are looking for mistakes in his game because they're against him. So any small slight thing, it's like he's the worst keeper in, in the game. And I mean, I tweeted about it a few weeks ago, but he made two excellent saves against Preston, I think it was. And then a kick, a, a kick that he was just trying to play up to Fredericks just went straight out of play. It was just a bit too hard. And someone next to me shouted, he's the worst keeper I've ever seen. So it's kind of, it's like those little things in isolation are kind of amplifying stuff that isn't there. I, I still think he's no better than Bettinelli. Um, that I think they're pretty much exact. They both have exactly the same qualities as keepers. They, they're great shot stoppers. Their distribution is a little bit lacking, but no, no different. And we highlighted it last, last year quite a lot that because of our system of play, he's a keeper that's going to get the ball more often. And therefore, he's going to lose the ball more often because he is a goalkeeper. He probably loses the ball as much as any other player on the pitch, you know, within reason. Um, but because he's a goalkeeper, it's just going to get highlighted a bit more. Well, I was going to say that uh, he's improved so much this season that I'm reticent to call for him to be benched because uh, in reality, his form hasn't dipped any anywhere near enough for that to be the case. But it was interesting. I was talking, uh, and I'm just going to drop a name here. I was talking to Mark Crossley not long ago, a man who knows how to you know scrap for a place at starting berth, and he thinks that this idea of an established number one is almost uh, almost overrated, and we should approach things in a much more fluid way. And in fact, you know, we've got two keepers in Betts and, and Button who, as, as Farrell said, are very much similar players and very much uh, the same in terms of ability. And uh, we shouldn't be afraid to rotate them a bit more. And the one who, the one who gets a starting berth is the one who's performed the best the week before. Yeah, I think, I think that's yeah, a that's fair, fair point. It's very fair. There's a good question coming up, I know, later on in the post bag uh, about keepers and what makes a good keeper. So I think we'll save the, the rest of this discussion for a little later on. But let's talk about the second half. Fulham missed chance after chance, and everyone's heads just started to go, it seemed. Cabano dr drives over the top when Oli Norwood's steaming in to tuck that into the back of the net uh, after some excellent work from Ryan Fredericks in uh, contrast to his, his earlier discussion point. There's a couple of scrambles from a low cross corner that just seem not to fall to a Fulham player. Cabano gets put through one-on-one -on -one and misses. Johansson puts two free kicks, one into the wall and one well over the top after, you know, after he's been so good and so so accurate from set plays recently. Even Sess, his cross shot seems to go between the goal. He seems to get stuck and decide he can't work out what to do. Are we trying too hard? I think that point in, in that second half, we start to think to us that we start to sort of wake up and realise that, OK, with each passing minute, it's going to get tougher and tougher to get a result. The more... The closer we get to full time, the more resolute Bowen are going to get, and and it gets it gets in our head. It's that mental sort of uh, that challenge there where we're getting a bit panicking, and as you say, our, our heads go. And I think it, you just need to, to sort of try and knock that out of uh, out of the mentality a little bit. There, one thing that strikes out to me, and I hit, you know, you guys have actually touched on it briefly, is the that when our fullbacks get into a position, get into those position, it should be coached and coached and coached into them what the strikers and what the unrushing midfielders and wingers should be doing in that point. Spurs showed it brilliantly when they came to the cottage last season. Kane knew exactly what to do as soon as Kieran Trippier got the ball within 10 yards of the box on the byline. As soon as his foot went, his right foot went up to strike the ball, Kane was already in a position to receive it. He already was, already was on the run. Another striker that does that very well is, is Jamie Vardy. But it's not just that, it's because they know the players around them. They know exactly what they're going to do in every single uh, every single time. I'm not entirely sure I see that with this Fulham team in the, in the final third. 
the amount of times that Fredericks gets that byline, he did very well on the weekend to get there a few times. But when he got there, he hesitated a little bit. And that hesitation gives the defence enough time to regroup and get into the right position and cut out, you know, um, tap-ins for Kamara or Fonz or whoever's on rushing in. And I think that those little hesitations are doing us damage a little bit. And it does happen. Um, I said earlier about the amount of times we get into those advanced positions and we take too long to have a shot or too long to make that decisive, that make that decisive killer ball. And I think that does do us some damage. And I wonder whether it's, uh, you mentioned like whoever's rushing on, whether it's Kamara or Font, is, is this ongoing issue that we have, this ongoing discussion point about who's our best attacking options, whether that's the front three or four players, you know, we, we've got an abundance of talent out there, we know that, but I'm starting to wonder as we go on, do we know the best combination for the system? And, and maybe that's factoring into Fred's when he's, when he's trying to loft the ball in, he's not sure what player's going to react in what way. I was thinking about this because I was watching a, a moment in the first half where a ball comes fizzing in and no one attacks it at the front post. And the person that actually should be attacking it is Roy Font after his, you know, he's actually the player in the middle at the time and Cameron's actually attacking the back post and, and Font's sort of in the middle and he's hesitant. I'm a little bit concerned about the fact that we've played Font in four different positions already. And thus, our, yes, he might be able to play in all of those positions. But I think what happens is then he gets a bit stuck between stations because he's, you know, he's not sure he's out. I'm a left winger. Am I supposed to be attacking the front post? I'm a centre attacking midfielder. Am I supposed to be attacking the front post? Am I, I'm a right winger. I'm, he knows as a striker, probably, that he is going to be attacking that front post because that's a natural striker role. But he's like, I assume he's considering in his head, if I'm playing in a different position, what am I supposed to do in a situation? I know footballs are intelligent and I know they should be able to work it out. But is that kind of rotation of him around these attacking positions probably making it his life more difficult than it needs to be? I saw something at the weekend. I don't know who it was from or where it was. I have a terrible memory at the best of times. But it was raised a good point about versatility of players. And I'm all for versatility of players. Roy Hodgson was a big advocate of it. That's why he picked, kept on picking players like Chris Baird. But someone mentioned that do we need the versatility players, like people who are good in three or four positions, or do you need an expert who's in one position? Someone like Aluko, for example, who was an expert on playing on the right wing, pretty much. And on the odd occasion when he played up front, he did look a bit lost, a la Reading playoff semi-final. Um, and therefore, maybe Rui Font isn't the answer, especially in one of the... Um, attacking mid positions he might be the answer just up front because as far as I, I was concerned before and all our research showed was he was a striker he was an out and out striker that's the only position he's going to play and that's what we said in pre-season it's only really been the last few games that all of a sudden he's popping up on the left or right wing because now Kamara's back fit which is all surprising to us two months ago when Kamara first came I was um I watched a fair bit of Rui Font at Braga after he signed for us. I went back and, and looked at some of the games and I'm still yet to find a game where he started on the wing. I've seen him start with a second striker, you know, someone, and start slightly behind them and uh, in the kind of mid, more withdrawn role. But I've never seen him start at centre attacking midfield or on either wing for Braga. And where he scored his goals from was attacking positions in the box. Yeah, he's a good, you know, dead ball specialist and he might be the answer taking a corner. I'm not against that. This isn't, you know, I'm not here giving Roy Hodgson stick for making Harry Kane take corners. I'm just saying that he seems to be a, a point the lance, if you want to take a 
you know, a footballing expression, but someone who sits at the very much the point and or just behind and is in attacking situations and to put him out wide seems like a gross waste of talent. Yeah, especially when we've got a billion wingers, a yeah. billion other wingers that's waiting. The, that's the most confusing bit. I know, yeah, exactly. Especially when we keep saying, well, every time Molo comes on, you're like, he's good, mm. awesome, let's play him some more. And then we don't. The one that kind of, the one that when you were saying before about where we've seen him a few times now and you've seen him on the left wing, you've seen him in the other attacking positions, and you, Jack, you've said quite rightly, it's kind of, uh, yes, no, not great. The one that, the QPR game last month, Rui Fonten attack, Molo on the wing, Steph Joe, McDonald, uh, Nor- Norwood, I think. Was it yeah, Norwood, not Norwood, Kenny? Kenny didn't, play. Kenny didn't play. But as far as I'm concerned, everyone played in their strongest position. And we were excellent, bar the, bar the injury time. Let's forget that. Fulham were excellent. It was largely in control for a lot of that game, regardless of the chances created on each side. And everyone played well. Everyone played well to a man. It was only just that last crazy five minutes. That was it. And you think to yourself, well, everyone's playing. You know, you look at the starting lineup and you're like, there's no questions. There's no doubt. Who's playing where? Who's going to do what? You knew what Fulham were going to turn up and play like. Okay, we'll come on to this, but let's get to the last, you know, sort of six minutes of the game, the injury time. Two things really pleased me from injury time. Obviously, the goal, which we'll come on to. But when we win a free kick on 90 minutes, Adam LaFontra tries to run away with the ball, like actually run away with it. And Steph Joe, just off the ball, absolutely clatters him and grabs the ball and runs back with it. And it might be, you know, we're not going you know, that well, but there's still desire and heart in this team. And, and I was really, I thought Steph did well when he came on without being outstanding. And I thought Norwood had a good game. And I, I, I wouldn't say that, you know, much of this breaks my heart to say, I wouldn't say that Steph automatically deserves his, stop back, his spot back in the team. But it's still nice to see that kind of heart and passion, even when someone's coming on as a sub. I know I have been a little bit critical of Norwood in the past. He is a bit up and down. Um, but I said to my brother at half time. Um, that I understand the norwood Kearney partnership. They do different things, but I think they work really well together. I don't know if other people thought that too. I'm a big fan of Norwood, and I'm surprised that some of the uh, some of the abuse that he gets in the hammy end from where I'm sat. And I don't know whether it's just an isolated thing, but I could feel the tide turning against him the last against Preston and against uh, and and against Bolton on the weekend. But I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big advocate of him as well, and I, I'm quite quite enjoying him. And I think this team we mentioned last week. There's no there's not a lack of pace in, in our midfield, but there's no lack of heart throughout the whole of the team. And I think you only have to look at, you know, even off the pitch, Instagram posts of nights out in natty suits. The players will play for each other and they'll play for the club. Um, and something's not clicking at the moment as much as we perhaps would like. But actually, if you look at it objectively, it's not a disaster by any stretch of imagination yet. It's October. Yeah, the performances are still pretty good. I mean, a 77% possession at the weekend, that's an absolute joke of a stat. Um, I think, you know, fans just like to go for a scapegoat. If things get a bit worse, they'll look for another scapegoat. Maybe they'll go to the Fulhamish podcast for a scapegoat. Yeah, it's all our fault. Maybe it will be all our fault indeed. The goal, though, is is pure determination and heart from K-Mac, who is a man who is a fond of a natty suit, as, as you say. <laughs> um, he literally puts the team on his back again. He is the spine of this team, and although it's nice to see TC get the goal, it is K-Mac who is utterly indispensable at this point, I think. Yeah, I, I've never seen... Uh, a, a run down the wing with a turning circle with with the outside of the foot. It's almost like he he knew where he was going to go. He really was like, I need to go right. But because his turning circle and him dribbling with his right foot, he couldn't do it so so quickly. So he had to do it in like 40 yards until he actually got facing the correct way. And he goes, oh, I might as well play across now. 
Uh, well, it worked. <laughs> for a player who's noted and lauded, rightly so, for his more defensive sort of capabilities in the middle of the park, he was picking out some lovely balls during the, during the game. He was another one for Cabano. I can't remember when it was, but I can remember noting it and saying, that's that lovely from K-Mac. And, and he's, he's, this season, he's proved his worth even more than last, perhaps, just maybe in you know the absence of another talisman with Kearney. I know they're completely different players, but he's getting that spotlight which he deserves. Um, so it's it's nice to see that he's got that sort of in his locker to help you know loft the ball in for for our captain to head in the winner. So in the end, although frustrating, I don't think we actually played that badly for the majority of the game. We had one mistake in us and lots of very nearly moments, but again we dominated and again we completely controlled the game. Sooner or later, I think it's going to come. Does anyone share my optimism? Absolutely, 100%. <laughs> Thanks, I, I, I absolutely do as well. I absolutely want to. I think that there just needs to be a slight a slight sort of shift maybe in, in, in mentality. As I say, we'll all play for each other, but we're a big we're a big team in this. We're a big club in this league. We're a big scout now. I think that sort of went a bit once we had some tough times in the middle of the last three seasons. But after last season, I think, again, now teams, you know, are going to come to us and they want to, they want to, you know, turn us over. Um, and I think we just need to sort of have that confidence and, and say, you know, like on the weekend, right, Bolton are trying to play a bit of football, particularly in the first half. We're better than them. Let's let's keep cool heads in the final third and take chances when we can. If, the, you know, if the Linos want to give us uh, some goals that are actually, you know, not offside, that's great. On the whole, share the optimism. Well, we're going to move on to where that optimism might take us this week after this. All right, Sammy. All right. How do you feel about beer? Yeah, I like a can or two. How do you feel about free beer? Yeah, I like free cans as well. I like more than three cans personally. Of course but you do. Here at Fulhamish Podcast, we have a deal for you which gets you free beers with our friends over at beer52.com. Please do tell more. So if you go to beer52.com and put in the code Fulham, you can either get eight free beers for £0 plus post and packaging or ten beers for £5 plus post and packaging. So basically, if you pay six quid, they deliver you loads of beers. That sounds pretty good. So you just pay for the delivery yeah, and you get free beers. Eight free beers. And does it support the podcast as well? My much-loved favourite podcast. Yeah, and we get benefits from beer52.com as well. Which means we can buy beer. Yeah, for ourselves. And maybe even for you at the pub before a game. Good stuff. What's the code again? Fulham at beer52.com. One more time. Fulham at beer52.com. Welcome back to Fulhamish, where I'm still joined by Farrell Monk and Drew Heatley. And we're going to talk quickly about Tom Kearney's post-match interview with Jamie Reid. So I'm not sure if you've both seen this yet, but basically after, after the game, Tom Kearney talks about having 75 bags of ice in his freezer. And basically, he needs to completely ice his knee after every game. I'm not sure that Tom Kearney should be playing 90 minutes, if at all. Maybe he's trying to cover the fact he has loads and loads of house parties and the, and the ice for the drinks. <laughs> I wish that were the case. I really do. <laughs> Where's my invite, TC? Yeah. Come on, man. Well, I don't know. I think... As well, like he, he's came back, he's come back, and I think he was uh, he was good against Bolton. You can just see what he brings to the team, and we we know what he brings to the team, and we, we need him. But we were learning just how to just how to cope without him when he was out injured, and we weren't sure when he's coming back. Uh, just by the QPR game, I think we were just starting to learn what you know how to play in in what would be a, a post TC era, if only temporarily. Um, so you know, if it's a case of rushing him back. Should we have done it? I don't know because, 
I don't know. There's two sides. There's two sides to it, but I, I, it's, it's got to be asked if he's got 75 bags of ice in his blooming freezer. How big is his freezer? Yeah, <laughs> one of those. It, it, one of his quotes was, "They were like, oh, how are you feeling?" He was like, "Quite sore at the minute. Second half was tough, but just need to get through with whatever's going on. I'm just trying to block it out and trying to perform." I just don't feel like filled with confidence that that Tom Kenny is all right, and 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 basically I'm I'm a bit worried that he's putting his career in jeopardy, not just for Fulham, just in as a general point of view. Like you know, Tom Kenny is a very talented footballer who deserves his shot at a big level, and and outside of Fulham, you know, my my sort of football brain says this man should not be playing football if they're not sure what's wrong with his knee. No, I don't care if he gets us. <laughs> Last minute goals, I'm happy with that. Um, <laughs> thank you, Farrell. <laughs> Doctor Farrell. I'm, I'm a bit, I'm a bit surprised. Like he gives out that kind of information. I, I think he probably got a slap on the wrist from the, um, yeah. I don't know, from the team going. Yeah, you shouldn't be talking about your injuries like that a little bit. Yeah, it's just it's one of those things. That it's very hard to see, you know, from a medical perspective when when Tom Kenny is so crucial to our team. But in terms of the long term, you know. The last thing I want is Tom Kearney going down in January with an injury and him being like, right, that's it, you're out for the end of the season. Yeah, it could be, you know, if it's a chronic thing, then that's pretty bad because although you get your knocks and that's a few weeks out, it's a knock and it's gone. If it's a chronic thing and it goes on for a long time, the older he gets, the worse it's going to get. And then he just won't be able to come back and those knocks will turn into months out instead. And but as well, you know, he's an asset to the club, a financial asset, and they're not gonna be they're gonna be taking precautions and I think that although okay, yeah, sure he's icing his knee up at the moment and I I, I would be sort of thinking maybe he's not it's not sort of make or break on the career you'd think because uh, you know there's a lot of things that are gonna go into that and a lot of tests and a lot of sort of forecasting and whatnot. So I'm sure I'm sure it's fine. The other things he said were a little bit more positive. He said, I still think we're an amazing team between the boxes. It's just what's happening in those boxes that's letting us down currently. And as soon as we get that sorted, I think we'll climb up the league. I thought that was a pretty fair assessment. Mm. I think saying that we're, we're, we're all right in the middle third of the pitch, that tiny middle third, it's, it's a roast-tinted uh, glass to the way of looking at things. You know, We're not great in either side of the box, in either box, but uh, it's the middle bit that we're okay. I think we've got the ingredients that are totally 100% there. Um, and we were saying last season, you know, there's, there's, there's a point where it's just going to click and we're going to give a team a bit of a spanking. And I think that that can still absolutely happen. Um, so I think there is there are many causes for optimism. I think there's just a few issues that need resolving, like the aforementioned uh, front three or four issue, you know, what's, what's our best sort of attacking options of which we have many, but I think in terms of the ingredients, they're all there. Uh, the other, the final part of his interview says, as soon as we start believing again, I think it will come. Last season at points, our belief was so high that I'd turn up every week thinking I was going to score three or four. We've got to get that back, and it's just hard work that does that. Does it go slightly in contrast with our last point that we might be trying too hard to think that if, if this is the kind of thing, does it just have to click for us to go again, basically? Maybe, maybe that's all it is. Maybe that's all it is. And maybe Slab is trying to drum into them that like it will come good, but you you guys need to come good and get that graph going. Do you remember the end, not the end, like the in the last third of the season, we had that amazing result at Newcastle and we're like, oh my God. It's on. It's on. It's literally like we're going to just storm it. We're actually going to win the win the league. I can I I did that predictor thing. I said we're going to get 93 points at the end of the year. Obviously it didn't work out that way. But then we got those that draw and that loss against uh Blackburn, Blackburn and Wolves. Wolves. Yes, exactly. And then it was all of a sudden, ah, crap. Okay. 
But then we had that hard, hard graft win against Rotherham, that really scrappy Aluko tapping it over, dribbling over it the line. Um, and it was a really, really nervous game. And then all of a sudden it was just like, oh my God, we're actually going to be Champions League winners yeah. this, at the end of this year. We were just rolling over teams. We won in the last nine games, I think eight of them, we won 3-1. It was, it was something ridiculous like that. And I think it might be the same thing this year. Some of the biggest drubbings we handed out were two playoff contenders, fellow playoff contenders that were obviously Reading and Huddersfield. And, and, and one of the biggest results was Newcastle away, not necessarily by the scoreline, but by the performance. So maybe, uh, you know, and maybe I'm optimism, I'm taking the optimism into overflow right now, but maybe we're playing teams, uh, you know, higher in the league that like to play football, Bristol City and Wolves. Maybe that's maybe that's <laughs> what we need to kickstart things and get things going. Who knows? Well, let's take it on to Bristol City and Wolves. Obviously, two massive games coming up in the space for the next four or five days. We've got, we've got two teams that have started the season extremely well in Bristol City and Wolves. We'll start at home in the same way that Fulham do. How much of the Robins have you seen this year and how do you think they'll set up at the cottage? I've uh, not seen a huge amount, but I know that uh, they've got that chap up front, Bobby Reed, who's sort of making his name this season. Uh, we've chipping in with nearly 10 goals already, I think, and he's been there for uh, for a long time as well. From the, They've got a lot of players that have come up through the youth ranks, so uh, a nice sort of a local local base. Um, but I just know that I don't want to see any of those damn gifts on the weekend. <laughs> They are exceptional. I like them. <laughs> yeah, very good. And they, they, I think they've started the season very, very well. And, yeah. and they look back to the kind of form they showed when they spanked us at the cottage last year. Uh, they're a very dangerous team with a, with a good manager, a good young manager who, who knows what he's doing in this league. And they seem to have just gone on from strength to strength. They're a team that don't seem to have any hugely outstanding stars. But as we saw in the last, uh, well, last season at least, they're a team that have been together a long time. They know exactly what they're doing. They know exactly. They've added. They've added a little bit, but they've added sensibly. But again, not players that really spring to mind. They've just. They've just gone about their business and added where they need to need to do. Not gone make marquee signings like say a Fulham has, um, and they're doing an excellent job. You know, they've they were did incredibly well to stay up their first season because they were miles adrift with what ten games to go and managed to amazingly stay up. And then they last season they consolidated and they've just been improving and now this is their this is their pump. Although we are still only fourteen games into the season at this stage last season, I think Preston were top last year or something like that. I don't think they were, but I, th- I think they were in the in the playoff picture, yeah. shall we say? So so you know that's fair enough. Preston's still a good side, but how would you go Tuesday night? What was the team you'd pick? What's your preferred formation slash lineup slash bench? Would you give TC some rotation given those last comments? Is it finally time for Rafa Suarez? I think that what I want to happen and what I would like to happen is going to be different from what will happen. I think as we've seen in the past, Slav, he'll pick probably, with the exception of Steph Joe, I think he might come back into the fold. I think he'll largely pick the same back six, if you can call them, you know, you you Frederick, Sessegnon, Reem, McDonald, Callas, uh, Tom Kearney, and, and probably Steph Joel Norwood. And then maybe the front three will probably be rotated slightly. That's what I think will happen. What I would like to happen is probably go back to Font up top, Molo, Ait. I would have probably gone Cabano, but then seeing Aite at the weekend, I was, I was, I was overwhelmed by how good he was. Um, and I think the setup will be exactly the same. 
And to be honest, I can't see us playing any differently. Stav has, picked, has chosen his squad now to play a certain way, and we've got the players to play it. I would um, I'd agree. I want Font up top. I, it's hard to look past Aita after the performance on Saturday, but I wonder whether he plays better when Kearney's on. And given Kearney's uh, interview that we've chatted about, how can, he, how can he play two games in three days? I, I just, I'd be amazed if, if, if what he's saying is accurate, which I presume it is, because why would you say it? Uh, can he can he play again? I don't. I just can't see it. So maybe I don't know. Font up top still. Maybe and this is exactly what you were saying. This is what I'd like to see, but won't see. Uh, you know, Sessing Gabano either side with maybe Suarez having a go. Um, if if you know, indeed he's fit enough slash is rated because he wasn't on the bench, was he on Saturday? He wasn't on the bench on Saturday, no, which was a cause for concern. To bring back Tayo Eden and Luca Della Torre ahead of those players suggests something might be awry. To me, because I thought Luca Delatore actually did quite well when he came on, but at the same time, I'm not 100% sure he's, you know, the player that Yaya Molo is yet. He might well be in the future, and he does look, you know, a, a tick for the future, especially very highly rated in his, in his homeland. Mm. But he, uh, it was a strange one from Slav. Yeah, it was a strange one, especially considering the squad that we have. There must have been some sort of niggle or. Whatever we have seen in the past, Slav picked some very perplexing subs benches. When he picked only six players on the bench, that was, yeah, that was a weird one. That was a weird one. There was a um, there was a moment. Someone actually did highlight to me that maybe Slav thought we were going to overwhelm Bolton like three 0 in the first half, and then he'd be able to give some of the youngsters some mm. game time. And this is one of the few opportunities in a league season that he felt maybe he'd he'd be able to do that. That doesn't seem very Slavisa-esque to no, me. No, it's it's not, especially when you think of some of the League Cup teams he's picked in the past. Um, it, it's quite funny that for five minutes, the guy sitting next to me thought Matt O'Reilly came on instead of... That was what, and he wasn't even on the bench, so I don't know where even, even know where he came on. All the youngsters are all the same to me. I, yeah. I, I think if he did, if that was the uh, thinking behind it, then I... I'd be surprised because he obviously put Delatorio on with one nil down. And although, he, you know, to be fair, acquitting yourself well and being on the pitch when we get a late equaliser, I mean, it can't do him any harm, can it? Yeah, well, there it, there, there it is. It is one of those where we will probably never find out. And if Suarez and Molo do not feature at all over the next two games, you'd have to think that something is maybe amiss. Mm. Uh, I think that would be key. But on Friday, we go to team of the moment, Wolverhampton Wanderers, who rather bizarrely were beaten by QPR uh, at the weekend and not just sort of scrapped the win. As in, QPR beat Wolves fair and square uh, at the weekend, which was, was a bit weird. We've seen Fulham play footballing teams off the park in the past. But last week, Wolves went toe-to-toe with Man City for 120 minutes. And not just a Man City, like, you know, second 11. A Man City with, with Aguero and Gabriel Jesus up top and Kevin De Bruyne pulling the strings in midfield. And Wolves were carving chances. Uh, uh, is anyone a bit worried that we could get really, really torn apart at Molyneux? We've got Kevin De Kearney, You know, <laughs> that's, that's nothing. We'll be fine. Kevin De Kearney. <laughs> It's a good, and there's been some good. There's been some good ones tonight. I, I, against a team that can really play football, as you say, away from home, I, I'm optimistic about that. But uh, as you say, it could go either way. And QPR was that. It was the first odd result that Wolves have had this season. They they lost to Sheffield United and Cardiff, but they're both they were both at, either at the time or are still up there with them. So it was that first sort of blot on the copybook, as it were. Um, 
So yeah, I you know it could it could I don't think it's going to be a draw. Put it that way. How do we counter the threat posed by you know ex Porto captain Ruben Neves <laughs> and on loan from Atletico Madrid Diego Jota? I know it's just a ridiculous squad that they've got. That's not even considering Cavalero and Costa are still there. Leo Bonatini's playing through the middle. It's unbelievable what they've got right there. But we've seen Fulham completely dominate teams of this of similar stature over the past. 18 months, to be honest. I don't fear that Wolves will completely batter us and roll us over. They lost to QPR at the weekend quite convincingly. I know Matt Smith got a last-minute header, but they had three times as many as many shots as Wolves, which is it's a joke. You know, you would never predict that um, before uh, whenever they played on... Was it Friday night or Saturday? Um, and I don't fear that that will happen. I still think that Fulham will, you know, might dominate the game. Because we too we do tend to play well against teams who play football, yeah. as opposed to the battering ram teams like Bolton or QPR, for example. Although we did batter them uh, this time round, thank God. Um, so I don't. It's it's a tricky one, but it could go two ways. It could it could be the case that they get a goal up and then we completely capitulate. You you just cannot tell. One thing I do know is that Fulham will still play the same way. Yeah, 100%. Well, if you are going to Wolves on Friday, please keep an eye out for, for Sammy and I. We'll be in Birmingham from 3pm onwards or something, and uh, and then at Wolves. So keep an eye out for both Sammy and I and, and the flag, which will also be in attendance. <laughs> I'm still a bit tempted to go. Oh, there we are. We might, have, we might have more of the Fulhamish crew on road, as, as they say. Well, I was, temp- I was more tempted until I found out you and Sammy were Yeah, going, fair so. enough. Let's move then, Mr. Farrell, onto the, <laughs> onto the post bag, which has been designated to you for the evening. Have, have you got some questions for us? I do. I'm getting elbow deep in this, uh, in this post bag. Thank you for letting me borrow this bag. So we touched upon the goalkeeping question. So um, we'll go straight on to that. Alan Rusted on the email came up with this question, and it's a little bit of a paragraph, but I'll, I'll say it all. I know our defence leaks like a sieve, and David Button has made some great saves this season, but I would argue that they all save keepers should make. I felt our defence looked most secure in the past two years towards the end of last season when Marcus Bettinelli was playing. Does that not show the defence organisation is every bit as important as shot-stopping? I used to think Antony Amy was a great shot-stopper, but was never an organiser, whereas Edwin van der Sar and Mark Schwartz were great organisers. Q, Jack and Drew. I wonder whether Betts sometimes gets let off a little bit for the fact that he's a Fulham boy. You know, he'd been at the club since he was 14 years old and when he comes on, he's got the old fist pumps and we all we all love a local lad. We, we've said earlier that the two keepers are very much similar and so I'm not sure why, where the sort of... Uh, the discrepancy is in, in the views of both of them, for, for, for mm-hmm. me. I remember Marcus Bettinelli's distribution against Spurs last season being absolutely the worst display of goalkeeping distribution I've seen ever. And and, and that is saying something considering I've watched David Button for a year. But (laughs) I just think I I completely agree with Drew. I think that Bettinelli gets like such an easy ride because that obviously shows a bit of passion. He's a young, good looking keeper. It's the Dan Burn effect. He literally is a young, good looking keeper with you know, who likes the club and you know, everyone's like, Well he he pimp pumps his fist on time. Whereas David Button obviously came in from Brentford, not as much of a looker. He uh, (laughs) and and he no but he's not And, and he obviously also Bettinelli, you can see in all the pictures on Instagram, he's out there with the lads, like having a good time and stuff. You don't see that with Button, and and, and therefore, 
you know, we don't know it's not true. You, David Button might have taken the photo. Like, as far as <laughs> yeah. uh, you're, you're always that guy, Jack. You're the one that's like, oh, it's a group photo. Jack, you can take it. Mate, obviously, I'm straight in the front line <laughs> doing a pose. Um, but it's, it's one of those where just because he, he doesn't have the same kind of appeal, uh, I think he gets a lot more stick than, than he does. And you're completely right, Drew, in terms of Bettinelli coming through the academy. Obviously, we like to see academy players brought through and we like to see them do well. So I do think that he gets a bit of an easy ride. It's the same with Tom Kearney, who actually gave the ball away within the first minute of both halves. <laughs> yeah. and, and no one said anything. And I was like, if Norwood had done that, it would have been war. Yeah. Like, but, but, you know, obviously, Tom Kearney is a wonderful footballer. I'm not, I'm not trying to take away from that. I'm just saying that we look at some things through black and white tinted glasses. And mm. it just seems to me a little unfair on David Button, who I think has been this, probably the second best player this season thus far. Sorry to be the chair chairperson of the table, but the question was more directed about whether the organisational side of things in in goalkeeping is as important as shot stopping. It, it might well be, uh, as in I I'm not a goalkeeper, so mm. I don't know. But I, I would imagine that it is. Yeah, but I'm not saying I'm. What I'm saying is that I don't know if Marcus Bettinelli organises the defence any better than David Button yeah, does. True. I think um, it is important. Uh, just just as a quick quick side, I think it is important. You you see keepers with less perhaps less ability carve out. Uh, Superb careers because of their ability to marshal their defence and control their box. Mike Taylor, for example, uh, he held his own. Came from the army, you wouldn't get wrong. Well, exactly. wrong side of him. <laughs> That's it. And, and you know, okay, Van Sar came in and took his number one jersey, but he bloody fought hard for it. And that's because what he what he lacked in ability compared to Van Sar, he more than made up for in his ability to marshal his defence. I, in my humble opinion, I think it's it's probably a bit difficult to actually marshal a defence that's usually forty yards away from you, yeah, considering probably. how dominant Fulham are. I was weirdly during the podcast. I was just I was just um, looking on the Fulham website. You've ever go to like the the fixtures and look at the the team lineup. You can press the average. So you go to the team lineup and then you can actually pick average position next to it. Like the average position of our defenders. Well, our two fullbacks are in the opposition half, and nice. Callas and Ream are forty yards away. So you know, and probably Bolton's one is pretty much on the goal line. So. You know, it's it's much easier for Ben Ormwick to organise his defence there than is David Button going to organise uh, our defence. Um, one thing I do want to touch upon, and I think it is a bit of a, and I think I have heard it from other other fans as well. And the question does go on to him, rightly or wrongly. It does state that um, it goes. I know our defence leaks leaks like a sieve, and I don't think it does. I think that Fulham have only conceded what, 15, 14, 15 goals this year, yeah, which is which is like one a game. Yeah. Maybe, and I think that must. Be, I think the team that's conceded the least in the league is ten, but that's like an outlier, and I think that's that is Wolves, unfortunately. So, I think it's a misnomer to think that the that the defence and our goalkeeper are the is the problem. I think taking our chances is the problem. I completely agree. I, I think that we are better this season defensively. What I would say is that I think maybe the potentially the phrase leaks like a sieve suggests that we don't keep clean sheets. Yeah, Which that is true. Time. That is true. I mean, it's a dead on bet to do a first team, uh, both, sorry, teams, both to teams to score. We are a golden yeah. bet for that. If you've done that, there was a, a fact about this somewhere on Twitter, and, and please let me know if this was you. But someone said if you'd put 10 or on Fulham both teams to score last season, you would have been up in a, an unbelievable amount. Like it, it was silly how much you'd you, been up. Yeah, you should have done that through the Ladbrokes thing and then bought all the bought all your beer fifty two money with it. Yeah, exactly. That's 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 the way to support the pod. Everybody. <laughs> On that note, Farrell, let's have another question. Okay, going deeper and deeper into the post bag, we've got Lawrence Peterman's 
Do we lack the physical toughness to get out of this league? Maybe we need to win ugly rather than play pretty passing football. It's a debate that's raged on all season, isn't it? Do, you know, you've got to have that blend of of, of shit and, and and the best, you know, the way that we like to see people play. Uh, just the way we like to see football played. I do think there's definitely an element of it, and I don't think that's been in doubt. Um, 100% agree. I don't. Huddersfield got out of this league last season, and Huddersfield definitely weren't like merchants of shithousery. They yeah. were definitely a very good footballing team who have gone to the Premier League and continued being a very good footballing team who don't who don't just sharp shop. And, and you can see it sometimes comes back to bite them at, at la Tottenham at, at Huddersfield. They just tried to play Tottenham toe-for-toe and, and they lost quite badly. But you, you can see that they've not ever really tried to change that style. They play good football. They, they, they know how to pass the ball around and they keep possession. And that worked for them last season and it can work for us as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I've got, I've got to agree. Um, I think this team is set up to, to win football matches as you did last year. And it did take a little while for it to get going, which is understandable because we had pretty much a whole new starting eleven last season. So it did take a little while to get going. But once it got going, my word, Fulham were unstoppable for a long period of that season. You know, um, and I think the same will happen this year. Maybe we do have to play a little bit ugly, but changing the whole style of the team is, is different. I wouldn't want to play ugly like Preston and Bolton, though, especially Carl Henry's shit housery of kicking the ball out deep into um, throwing territory. We didn't actually mention that Carl Henry should have been sent off at least three times. Well, well before getting on the pitch, I would say. But it was really bizarre, like as in like he he's almost like he almost thought he was immune, and and it was bizarrely the referee just bought into the fact that then he thought he was immune. I know this is really off topic. I do apologize, <laughs> but it's just it's just occurred to me that we we didn't discuss it at the time, and no. he, he he literally the more the referee was like, "I'll book you if you keep mouthing off," he just got mouthier yeah. and mouthier, and it was bizarre. Maybe got him confused with Darren Prattley. That that was James. That was Jim. <laughs> I, I watched the full ninety today because I was actually in Milan over the weekend. Um, but the amount of times that Jim got Prattley and Henry yeah. confused, my dad, my dad was did a, as well. <laughs> was essentially one unbelievable. It was a, <laughs> it was a good moment. Farrell, I think that question was excellent. Thank you, Lawrence. Can we can we have one more potentially? One more. Um, touching it more, but touching it briefly before. But I think maybe it's worth touching it a bit more. Uh, so many today, Farrell. <laughs> Outrageous. Uh, FFC Dom has come in with. Is it actually possible to fit Kamara, Font, and Kenny in the same in the team at the same time? Yes, but I think you have to go four one three two. One one three two. I think you and have to defenders. play. I think you have to play four defenders, just Kevin McDonald, Kenny, and two wingers, and then Fonte and Kamara. Mm. I think that's the only way, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure it would work. I just think that's the only way it would physically diamonds. work. Bring about the diamonds. No. Um, <laughs> is my answer to that. I, think we need, I mean, it's possible because we our wide players, our, our fullbacks play such high yeah. lines that we could play with an interior diamond with McDonald, Kenny, uh, McDonald, Johansson, and Norwood on either side, Kenny in front, and then Font and Camera mm. up top. But I think we would struggle for width in the long run. I think with Kenny in front of McDonald and just two wide players alongside him, two out and out wide players. We'd potentially do this, but I think we'd lose. I think we'd lose our ability to control games. I yeah, I do agree. I think that if we are going to play, we need to, in this system and our style of football, we do need to play wide players because it opens up gap, gaps in the middle. 
there was large portions of that game where we op we were opening up Bolton because our two wide players and our fullbacks were lit were hugging that touchline almost literally, and that pulled their fullbacks a bit out, and that pulls their centre backs out and creates space in the middle. So that pretty much wraps it up for us today on the Fulhamish podcast. Uh, we hope you have enjoyed it as ever. Please visit our website. Uh, which has a wonderful selection of articles, including our new previews from George Singer uh, before the whistle, which focus on the more statistical side of things, which are excellent and I highly recommend. And uh, my new column, the boy, <laughs> the Collins column, now 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 a regular feature on the website. Speaking of ugly ugly footballers, there's uh, from yours truly. There's uh, a new Fulhamish quiz. Get ready for that regular feature. And we are going to have a host of new articles on there this week, uh, as well as the, the usual stuff. So please do get on there. Please follow us across our social networks on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. We're at Fulhamish Pod on everything. Uh, you can always email the pod, pod at fulhamish.co.uk, if you have any questions or get in touch if you want to get involved. So the only thing that's left for us to do is to give this podcast a name. And so I will throw you once more back to Mr. Secretary Farrell Monk. I think we're going to have to go with, with the Halloween theme, Last Minute Thriller. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is one of those. Right, well, we are going with Last Minute Thriller then. Thank you to Mr. Farrell Monk. Thank you, Jack Honori. Thank you to Mr. Drew Heatley. Thank you very much. I've been Jack Collins. This has been the Fulhamish Podcast. See you next week. Doodles.